Hello, here we are. Grace and peace. Something like that, Kurt. Isn't it always a good day when we get to see Kurt Sievert? Yes. It's always a good day, for sure. Well, guys, welcome. It's uh, it's good to be back together. Uh, for those of you who are new, we're, we're especially excited to have you and looking forward to our uh, study of the Gospel of Mark. Um, one thing that I always like to do at the beginning of Bible studies um, is to remind you that if you persevere with us, Steve Pitts, if you persevere with us uh, through this study, something is going to happen uh, for sure. Uh, you're going to know the Gospel of Mark better than 99% of the people in the world. Now, how many things can you say that to be true about yourself relative to the whole world? And that's really cool, but that really doesn't mean jack, right? Because what our hope is, is that we will be further transformed. That is why we gather together around God's Word. Is because we believe, Pastor Kurt and I have this deep-held belief, that the Word of God transforms lives when we are willing to open our heart to what God is trying to do in our lives through it. And so that is our hope for our Bible study together, that we will experience deep transformation into the likeness of Christ. And the Gospels in particular, uh, that is certainly uh, their goal. So we have a purpose behind everything we do, and so to begin our time together uh, with prayer. Um, yeah, go right ahead. Go right ahead. Brent, you lead the charge. Brent Braden, something. You got to give something so that people will always remember you. There you go. Cole, good to see you, man. Thanks. Jeff Morton, Very good. Wow. Hey, man. And Luke is a master chef, by the way. There you go. Oh man, that's for sure. Rich. Uh, <laughs> Rich McLaughlin. I'm from the East. Don't pull that again. I love you guys. Um, that's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. I'm Joey Fraley, and uh, man, I became a brand man at the tender young age of 42 about a month, almost two months ago now. So, all right. Wow. My name is Kate Walton, and uh, I do things for my son's in medical school. Cool. Yeah. I'm Gene Prince. I grew up in Nebraska. All right. Glad you're here, Gene. <clears throat> Glad you're here, brother. Thank you. Andrew. Andrew Avis, my daughter's son's Oh, May the peace of Christ be with you. All right. I'm right there with you, brother. It's not good. <laughs> Everybody hearing? Everybody? Andrew. Andrew. Go ahead, Drew. I'm Drew Mackey, I'm a retired football coach. I'm the only coach I know that won a championship in Bruno, New Mexico, and got fired. <laughs> well, there you go. Dave. Dave Hunter, 
Dave Hill, and I'm the only one that will admit that Kurt and I went to the same college. Oh, oh wow. I'm Kurt, and I won't admit that I went to the same college. Very <laughs> good. I'm Kerry Norton. I've got North Dakota. Mm. All right, man. All over. Jeff Birch from this area, Stanton, member of West Texas, enjoy that horse down. Yeah. Charles Keel, otherwise known as Poppy. There you so go. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you got it, Poppy. <laughs> go ahead. Are you done? <laughs> I'm Steve Bitts, and I graduated from UT. Oh. You're not going to say I'm growing in my sanctification, Steve. <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. I'm uh, Mike Wittenberg. I like to play some music, pick the strings a little bit. Yeah, I does a good job. I became a grandfather five months ago, but I'm significantly older than you. Tim Dolph, I was 59 when I became a grandfather four years ago. Uh, Ryan Wittenberg, Mike. Very good. I'm a I'm a grandfather. I'm a grandfather. I'm a grandfather. I'm a i there you go. Uh, Gene Nolan. Uh, got three kids because day by day I try to find the silver lining in each day. Uh, here Sunday you saw such a presentation uh, from Steve to our youngest son Rob. Let's uh, finish up this battle uh, of pregnancy. Our family must always find the silver lining every day. Thanks, Gene. All right. You gotta introduce yourself. I oh. gotta read my, my Okay. I'm Kurt. I'm Steve Sidekick. <laughs> and I'm Steve, and uh, I also grew up on a farm, and so uh, I've been putting my farm farm skills to work this summer. I've been changing a lot of oil to kind of keep my mind off of other things, and that's been a lot of fun. So uh, been good. So. One of the things that we do is we read some sort of a psalm, or in this case, we're going to read some poetry out of Isaiah uh, to kind of get us started this morning. So Isaiah 61, and, and uh, the last line of this poem that I'm going to read, this is really what I hope that our group will continue to become. And so just kind of listen close for that. Let's pray. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. Bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, 
a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we want to start the Gospel of Mark today to walk again on that foundation that is Jesus Christ. Now, if you were here with us with David, think about what you thought of David the first day, and then what did you think of David the last day? There was some degree of transformation, right? David was a complex character. He was good, he was bad, a combination thereof. Jesus is obviously good, and he's going to get better. But we really want to, as adults, and as much as we can, really delve into it. It's not simply a matter of he's going to save us. Yeah, that's that's true. But if he is our Lord, our teacher, uh, our director of life, then what you would know about him is not just passing knowledge, but really intense, organized, as best of our ability to understand who he is. A lot of times we do get the stories about Jesus, but we get them kind of helter-skelter, right? You'll hear one story during a sermon, and then maybe you'll read another during a devotional, but uh, sometimes it just it takes going through the whole story to get, get the flow. Now let's think a few minutes about who wrote the Gospels. So we have four of them, and this used to confuse me as a kid. You would assume, you would assume that the disciples wrote all of the Gospels, right? I mean, these were the guys that were trained, knew Jesus the best. And so sometimes you have to ask kids, who were the disciples? Uh, Peter, John, uh, Mark? Was Mark one? Uh, Luke? No. Mark and Luke are kind of the outliers. Whereas, you probably know, Matthew and John were disciples, did write Gospels, probably due to the fact that of all of the disciples, they were the most uh, educated, at least in a Greek sense, that they, they could write in, in Greek, although we don't think Matthew did. But who is, who is Mark? No sense in me teaching what you already know. So, who, who is this cat? As much as we study Jesus, we're going to study him as well. Do you know anything about him? I mean, it's okay if you don't. It's not. Well, alongside Paul. It is John Mark? He did. You're right. You're right. You're right. Um, he did. And then what, what happened? What's the rest of the story? They had fallen out, yeah. Uh, a screw you go with Jesus conversation, yeah. And you, you bring up a good thing. They made up. They did made it make up. They they really did. So let's uh, and that, that's good. We we will we will cover that. So Cade, good job. He was a kid. He was a kid. Yeah. Let grab your Bibles and let's look at Mark chapter fourteen. Writing conventions change. And usually when you're writing something about uh, a great figure, you don't put yourself in the story. They don't generally, in Greek, say, this is by me. Um, There's ways that we know this is from Mark, but this is an interesting little interlude. This is the night that Jesus is arrested. 
So remember, Judas has come. He's portraying Jesus. The temple police are there. You're not supposed to arrest people at night in Jewish law because it's confusing. You know, you want everything to be in the light of day. So it's chaos. This is Mark 14, verse 50. Meanwhile, all of his disciples deserted him, Jesus, and ran away. Now this is horrible. If you are called to be a Talmud, a Talmudim, plural, a disciple of a rabbi, it is your job to do everything for that rabbi. So you prepare his meals, you take care of his clothes, you listen to his words 24-7 because you believe that any teaching that comes out of his mouth you need to preserve and hold on to no matter what. And God forbid a robber or a Roman or anybody try to get a hold of your rabbi. Your job is to die before they touch your rabbi. And here it is embarrassing that all the disciples, after Peter makes an attempt, of course, but all the disciples are just running for their lives. But we're told in verse 51, there was a young man following along behind, clothed only in a linen nightshirt. When the mob tried to grab him, they tore off his clothes, but he escaped and ran away naked. (laughs) And that's it. And they sort of move on. Um, with the arrest and the trial, and we're left to sort of scratch our head. Well, what is this? Uh, in Convention of Greek Literature, this is the author inserting himself. We come to find out that Mark was a young man involved with Jesus in the early years. More specifically, Mark's mother, a woman named Mary, was from Jerusalem. She was very wealthy. And she had supported Jesus early in his ministry. Again, this is sort of typical uh, that when rabbis began to travel around, uh, they established their yoke. So their itinerant, they established their new teaching. It's called Shimcha, with authority, um, that they will develop the support of patrons. And oftentimes they are women. And in this case, uh, it was a woman from Jerusalem, and she has a son named Mark although his real name is John. This is important to get uh, your brain around. Uh, The Jews, for the most part, are living in two cultures, their own, and then the one they have to deal with in terms of the presence of the Romans. And by that extension, we would say the Greeks and the, the other outsiders. So they don't want to go around having to explain, no, my name is Yonatan. And the Romans say, what? Yonatan, uh, which is really what his name is, Jonathan. It means God has given Yonatan. And the Roman says, what? <sighs> Roman says, I'm trying to read your driver's license here. For God's sake, can you just put it in English? Actually, the Roman didn't say that. but So they just come up with another name that the Roman can say. So the other name that he has is the most common name in the Roman world, Marcus. <laughs> So instead of trying to explain to the Roman, my name is Yonatan, he just says it's Marcus. Oh, oh, hi, Marcus, how are you? Give me your money, I'm going to kill you. Okay, thank you. Uh, it's, it's that kind of great little relationship they have. So he has, in a sense, two names. His mama gave him the name Jonathan, and in business and society, for government purposes, he is Marcus. It's very common. Simon Peter. It's the same kind of 
situation. Uh, we see this a lot of, well, almost everybody of this period. It does not mean he's a southerner and he has a middle name, right? He's not John Mark. I had a good friend, his dad was a preacher in seminary, and his name was John Mark. And he always used to, it's, you know, it's... So, uh, this was a big thing in El Paso. Um, everybody, especially if they had like Guadalupe as their name, or, you know, they would have a, a, a sobriquet that was a little easier in English. But um, my, my brother-in-law is Jaime, my sister's husband, uh, but it looks like Jamie, the way you spell it, right? So you don't call my brother-in-law Jaime Jamie. If you know him and you know you're from a pastor, you call him Jaime. But if you look at it and his driver's license, it's Jamie. So John Mark is the same way. If you meet him in heaven, don't call him John Mark. You can just call him John or you call him Mark. Anyway, so a couple other things we can discern about him. Think about your mom dragging you around on these traveling lectures to meet this guy named Jesus. Do you think Jesus would make an impression on you as a teenager? <laughs> yeah, undoubtedly so. Uh, the miracles, uh, the confrontation, in all that we go through, in all that we read in Mark, please understand, always keep this in forefront, you're in the middle of a war. This isn't just everyday uh, Mulberry or Mayberry uh, walking down the street in Jerusalem. Uh, this is a violent Roman occupation in which terrorists are fighting back daily. Uh, there's revolution constantly. It's, it's a pretty nasty place. So to find somebody, uh, in a sense unifying the country, to find somebody speaking about the things that, he's it, he, that he is, is going to make a huge, huge impact. And as Mark will discover, this man is not just a man. He's one, the Messiah, and two, he's actually God. And this will make such an impact on this man's life, this boy's life, that he's going to change all that he does in order to serve him. Mark was never one of the official disciples, right? He was not being trained officially to be a rabbi or eventually an apostle, but he still got it. Now, I don't know what it says about him. It says two things about him. So his mama had put him to bed. Did your parents do that just when things got interesting, right? The guards are coming. People are going to arrest Jesus. Jonathan, get to bed. But mom, no, I don't care. I don't want to hear it. So where are they sleeping? Yeah. One of the things that we forget, uh, again, this is a war, but there's not hotels. They're in Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem is massively swollen because of the Passover. Uh, there's not enough house space to contain everybody. Uh, these estimates are always uh, fraught with, with danger, but... Generally, what the historians tell us from the time period, Josephus, is the population of Jerusalem was between 30, between 30 and 40,000. At the time of the Passover, the city would swell to 300,000. So really, the whole area is just ringed with camps and people camping out and tents. I mean, it's just, it's, it's crazy town. But people are coming for Passover, the 
probably amongst the traveling festivals the most important one. So Jesus likes to camp out on uh, the Mount of Olives. It's sort of his go-to place, so that's where they're at. Mark has to be relatively young to be put to bed, you know, early. And he has a linen nightshirt. Did you what do your translations say? Yeah. This would have been uh, eye-catching for people. Mark is coming from significant wealth for him to say this. The average person, and I would say 80% of society, owns the clothes that they're wearing. This whole notion that we have uh, closets full of clothes, that you change clothes every day, is entirely a modern convention. In the ancient world, you had the, the cloak, and in the case of the Jews, it's, it's a long, from neck to ankle uh, robe that you wear, and you'll have your prayer shawl with you, and that's what you slept in. Uh, there's laws that they put into place that says you cannot uh, go to a, a pawn shop and pawn your prayer shawl or your um, robe uh, past night because that's what you sleep in. So Mark is in a very different category that he has a linen, and this is imported stuff. He has a linen nightshirt. So mother is very, very wealthy. Now I don't want to go down this rabbit hole too far, but just to say, think of Nazi-occupied France. Who is going to have a lot of money in Paris under the Nazis? I, I, I'm not trying to say she's, you know, a prostitute or anything like that, but it, it, she she had to have been well well connected. I think under Herod. Um, probably from one of the priestly families or something like that. This is a lot of wealth that's being displayed. Um, he's got jammies to change into when probably none of the other disciples do. Uh, this would have would have stood out. But what happens to him? <laughs> of all the stories you could tell about my time with Jesus, you know, I remember the time that he was feeding the five thousand and. I said, this is great, Jesus. And he looked over at me and said, you're right, Mark. You know, that's the story to tell. Not the night where it all went crazy, freaking out. Everybody's running around. I jump up, don't know what to do, running around in my jammies. Somebody grabs a hold of me, pulls me out. And uh, what do the Scots wear under their kilts? (laughs) Nothing. Uh, So what does the Jew wear at night under their linen? Nothing. One of the absolute, absolute cultural no-nos for a Jew, absolute, is to appear naked in society. Period. Do you remember Noah and all that good time? Uh, It's it's unforgivable. A Greek, it's just natural. You know, getting clothes on the Greek is actually the miracle. But for a Hebrew, it's never ever. And so he's telling this hugely embarrassing story about himself. Uh, the night Jesus was arrested, and all I could do was run around naked and try to get my clothes back. So, interesting guy. Read, read what you will into it. We know a couple other things about him. 
he will stay um, with Jesus. He will become a follower. And I want you to think about this because it's really important for our conversation today. Did Jesus tell any of the disciples to write a gospel? No. That was not Jesus' plan, A. It was not his tradition. Now, don't hear me incorrectly. God still ordains, he still blesses, he still creates uh, this gospel. Uh, And this is probably the first, uh, there's debate, Matthew may have been first, Mark, it's probably Mark. But anyway, Jesus did not say, hey, record everything I'm doing. This is important. Write it down so people don't mess it up. He didn't do that. He followed the tradition that he has picked up in a sense of rabbis. Rabbis never write anything. What they do is create disciples. That's why the disciple is with them for 24-7. Everything the rabbi says, the disciple must remember because it's important. The disciple is the repository of the information. And then that disciple will pass it on to the next disciple and so on. And thus the information is never lost. I think that's what Jesus' plan A was. But there was a problem. What did the Romans start doing to the early Christians? What did they do to us? Killed us in creative and terrible ways. Uh, We were put in arenas. uh, We were crucified. uh, We were used as human torches. It, It was horrendous. And what did they start doing to the leaders of the church? What did they start doing to the disciples? Started killing them. Uh, they arrest them, uh, Paul uh, and uh, Peter, and eventually crucify them. All of the disciples, except for John, will die um, violent deaths at the hands of Romans or, or pagans. So that kind of puts a, a stopper in Jesus' old plan, doesn't it? How is a disciple going to get a disciple's message when that disciple gets killed? So the early church starts to worry. We're we're losing these men who were the trained disciples of Jesus. What do we do? And what I want you always to remember about Mark is you have this kid saying, "Uh, I wasn't a disciple. I was there. I knew these guys. Um, And he will be very close to Peter in later life. Um, we have this mentioned in the, in the New Testament, several places. There's also uh, early church fathers, uh, disciples of John, who say, yeah, yeah, Mark really was close to Peter. And that makes sense, right? If he had traveled all these years with uh, Jesus and gang, he would have gravitated towards, you know, I remember Peter. You know, I was a little kid, but he was there. So a lot of what he gets, uh, Peter shared with him at later points. But Mark still stood up and said, all right, this message cannot be lost. We've got to get this out. We've got to be able to share this with other people. In a sense, it wasn't his job, but he made it his job. Now, like I said, the, the calling to be a disciple is incredibly powerful. At a moment's notice, you could stand up and you could give a full account of your rabbi's message. Mark is fulfilling that. Could you do that? 
What if tomorrow all of these went away? And they got rid of Pastor Steve and I. People said, Amen. <laughs> and it was left to you guys. That's the level that we want to go to with Mark. That any one of us, in any circumstance, could be like this kid and stand up and say, you know what? I'll do it. I'm not going to let this message of Jesus die. In a sense, this was passing on to the next generation before it even really got started that this story would continue. So there's a little bit more about his history, but um, we'll let Pastor Steve tackle some of this. Yeah. So let's go ahead and get to the text. Um, Mark chapter 1. Pastor Kurt and I, we always, we always have this struggle about how deep to go and, and how much to move, but we're not going to move very far for the next, for the first couple, two or three weeks. So, uh, just get ready. So, how the gospel begins. The beginning of the good news. Now, I want you to note something there that Mark, where did he grow up? He grew up in Jerusalem. Um, he would have known the scriptures from a kid, from, from a young age. Uh, and then whenever you, you uh, tie this to the way that the other gospels are structured, uh, John is doing something here by using the word beginning. How does the Bible begin? In the beginning, right? Uh, John starts his gospel. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word uh, was God. So immediately your mind, as you're reading this, especially as a first century Jewish person, would be drawn back uh, to Genesis chapter 1. And that whatever's going to be unfolding in here has some sort of connection to what God did there. And I'll let you in on the secret, is that the creation that was ruined by Adam and Eve's choice is being made whole through the gospel. And that's the word that is being used. So creation, new creation. That is, that is the movement of scripture. And we begin here with this word, good news. Um, the word in uh, Greek is euangelion. You need to remember that. No, you don't. (laughs) (laughs) Name your daughter that. You on, get in here. You on, Gellion. You on, Gellion. Mary, I'm going to beat your... Done. (laughs) (laughs) You on, Gellion. It's a... and so gospel, you probably, the, do some of y'all's translations say the gospel? The beginning of the gospel. The beginning of the good news. Those are the words that are usually translated, uh, the, the, translated into English, uh, from the Greek, uh, euangelion. Uh, the word in Hebrew? Basora. So name your daughter that, I guess, instead. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Better, Basora. Uh, that's, that is the Hebrew word uh, for good news. The passage that I read to you in uh, Isaiah, and Pastor Kurt reminded me of this yesterday, is the, the prophets, they, they are the ones that are most likely to use this term. Um, and it's a, it's a prophetic word that is envisioning, in essence, the new creation. When all of the world, not just Jews, but all of the world will be drawn to God. 
And that it is this gospel, this Jesus that does this, right? <laughs> so, as Pastor Kurt was saying, like if you were, if somebody, what, what is it? Like, what is the gospel? What would you say? The truth. The truth. Like, just like flesh it out just a little bit. Let's go to Mark and Mark. When he was writing this, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 A.D., Paul had already written some of his letters by the time the first Gospels were written down. So just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now this is the place for you to go to kind of get a a summary and an understanding of the gospel, of the good news. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. I preach to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance. So going back to what Pastor Kurt says, what do rabbis, what do teachers do? They pass it on. And this is what he was passing on to the Corinthians that they were forgetting. That, number one, this is the gospel. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Number two, that he was buried. Number three, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And number four, that he appeared. And he goes on. I appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers of the brothers, which Mark would have been one of them. 500 brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. I'm always curious what that interaction would have been like, right? <laughs> For sure. Because if you remember, this is James's. This is James, the brother of Jesus. And if you know anything about the Gospel of John, uh, James wanted Jesus dead. So what was that like, right? Um, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me. Paul writes, "What's the gospel? Four things." What does that kind of sound like? Sounds a little Apostle Creedish, doesn't it? Right? And that's where the writers of the Apostles' Creed uh, got it, is from this passage in Corinthians. So, like, just keep in mind that whatever the gospel is, as Mark makes the case here, uh, excuse me, That is about what God has done and is doing in a person. The gospel is primarily a person. The gospel is primarily then communicated through a story. And thirdly, the story, when it is presented, invites us to embrace that story as our story. 
And that is, it's, it's always those four things. And at the bare minimum, that's what... And notice that none of that says anything about uh, going to heaven after you die. That's not the gospel. Now, that's a result of the gospel, but it's not the gospel. The gospel is a person communicated through a story. And this is, not, this is how God always works. You talk about the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, we call that the law. That's a, kind of a, a way that they... Uh, and when we think about a law, we think about reading a law code or something like that. It's a story. Even Leviticus is a story, right? So this is how God is at work in the world, is through stories. And that Christ died, that Christ was raised, that Christ, uh, uh, Christ, uh, what was the first one? I missed it. What are the four things? Buried, yeah, the buried part, yeah. The buried part, that he appeared. All right. And so as we're out of time already today, um, we want to challenge you. And that's what we're, we're going to try to, to redouble down on our challenges each week. If we are people of the gospel, if we are people of the story, if we are people of Jesus, when you leave this place today and you go to work, how is that story going to make a difference in every choice you make? So I want you to think about that as you make choices today. The good news. Think about it this way. Something happened. Those four things. Something happened by which the world will never be the same. And we get to receive that news and apply it to every part of our living and being in the world. And that's your challenge. We haven't given you a lot to sink your teeth into today, a lot to think about for sure. But boy, if we can consider that news as being the most life-altering news that the world has ever heard. What difference does that make for us in our choices that we make? So please remember, there's no water boys on Jesus' team. They're still expected to play. Mark was on the sidelines, and yet he's got to step up here and really be the one that shares the gospel. We'll finish his biography in coming weeks, but just put the end mark on it. He ends up going to Egypt and converts the country. Still today, the most holy site of Christianity in Egypt is St. Mark's Cathedral in downtown Egypt. 10% of the Egyptian population is still Christian because of what this little kid did. He wasn't a little kid when he did it. They still have his skull in Cairo. We think it's actually it. Uh, I'll I'll give you all the ups and downs of it, but uh, they love you if they keep your skull. (laughs) So, um, job well done, uh, Mark. Um, Yeah, I expect you to keep my skull, Kurt. You got it. I'll, I'll grin. Right before I die. Um, So, uh, an amazing story because he served Christ with all that he had. How did this little boy from Jerusalem go from writing an earth-changing gospel to uh, traveling with Peter and Paul and then changing all of Egypt? It's, uh, 
It is life with Christ. So, let's pray. (laughs) Father our God, we dedicate this journey to you. We know school is getting back in session and life seems to be hitting into high gear again. But we promise you this day, there will be room for you. There will be room for your story. For we know that what we do to make a living is not our purpose. Our purpose is you. Our purpose is the gospel that's unfolding inside of us. Our purpose is to be that disciple for the next generation where we understand what you're doing for us. We understand your teaching and we share it with our kids, our grandkids, our neighbors, our fellows, our workmen. The people that you put in our lives are the people you intend for us to be a gospel to. So help us to be found faithful as this kid who was stripped down to his his nothing the night you were arrested. May we at least do as well. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Have a great day, guys. For you to learn more. If you want to just snap a snap that, it will take you to a playlist, and you can. And we're going to update this each week. This is just uh, quick videos uh, to kind of talk about what we've already talked about today. So uh, you can snap that and have that for next week.